0: means more coffee.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I'm Reese Boyd, local attorney here in Myrtle Beach with the firm of Davis & Boyd, Attorneys at Law. I'm your host for Saturday Morning Coffee. Welcome to the show. At Saturday Morning Coffee, we invite you to sit down, pour yourself a cup of your favorite coffee and join us as we talk about the news, current events, what's happening in your world, a lot going on, a lot that you need to know. A lot that we want to unpack for you. Uh, Here at Saturday Morning Coffee, we're all about limited government, lower taxes, and more freedom for you and me and all of us who are we the people. We've got a country to save, and it starts right here on the local level, so let's get to it. We invite you to settle in with a cup of your favorite joe or whatever you happen to be drinking, your newspaper, if you still have one of those. And join us as we help you get your Saturday morning going. I'm uh, joined here in the studio by producer extraordinaire, Mr. Glenn Dye. Mr. <sighs> Dye, how are you doing this morning?
2: I'm doing okay. I got my coffee this morning, Reese. I'm ready for some um, intelligent conversation with and, you this morning.
1: And, well, I will, well, you have set the bar high, sir, but I will, <laughs> we will do our best. We will do our best. It's um, a little melancholy today, as Glenn and I were discussing. Yeah, we're yeah. in the midst of a pandemic, so I hope you guys are safe and well. Uh, praying for the safety of everyone within the sound of my voice, and with and without beyond the sound of my voice. Uh, just praying for us all. Um, and uh, by the way, Mr. Producer, what sort of coffee are we drinking this morning? Uh,
2: today is the Starbucks French roast Starbucks again. French roast, yeah. You know, when at Costco, when you buy, um, you know, the beans in the bag, there it's mm-hmm. a big bag. It's like the three-pound bagger. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so yeah. I'll, I'll have it for a while. You well, know, being by myself and not drinking a, you know, only one guy drinking three pounds of coffee beans yeah
1: well <laughs> and, and of course one of the commodities we stocked up on at the uh at the boyd household was coffee and we've got plenty yeah and, and you uh, don't want to run you, out of cream either there you can't buddy. run out of cream nah. you can't run out of coffee and actually uh had somebody give me some coffee this week i'll get to that but um uh, uh, thanks for being here glenn welcome to saturday morning coffee we also invite you guys uh out there listening to us to join in the discussion by calling texting tweeting your comments You can join us on the call-in line at 843-903-2945. You can also text your comments to the PCRX text line. That number is 843-798-TALK. Or, for those of you who are alphanumerically challenged, that's also 843-798-8255 on the PCRX text line. You can tweet me your comments. Got some interesting tweets uh, this week to share with you. My Twitter handle is at Reese Boyd. I invite you to follow the show on Twitter, if you will. Again, it's at Reese Boyd. You can, on Twitter, you can email your comments or questions to Reese Boyd SMC at gmail.com. Reese Boyd SMC at gmail.com. And uh, some of you have called me, quite a few of you in fact, uh, have called me in the last couple of weeks. Um, I was away last week. I was camping with my family and uh, interesting weekend, uh, a reminder of how quickly things are changing. Things were different when we got back from when we left. So it's uh, it was just kind of a wake up call for me. I was unplugged for a couple of days and then it was a, a, a stark reminder when I, um, and, uh, you know, what I, um, when I got back, I just reminded of of how quickly uh, things are moving. And so, but if you guys would like to call me at the office, uh, I want to make an open invitation to you. Uh, We are mostly open. We're working on a limited uh, staff. Uh, We're trying to work from home as much as our people can. Uh, We're trying to do as many meetings with clients uh, by telephone, by video conference. We're trying to be creative in how we Somehow figure out a way to keep our business going uh, at Davis and Boyd and uh, many other small businesses in town trying to wrestle with the same issues. But we are uh, open. Love to hear from you. 843-839-9800. 843-839-9800 is my office number. And if for some reason I am not in the office and you leave me a voicemail, Uh, That voicemail is uh, converted into an email and it finds me wherever I am. So I'll uh, do my best to get back to you and um, appreciate you guys reaching out. I do have a few calls to talk about. I want to remind our loyal listeners that if you miss an episode and want to catch up on Saturday Morning Coffee or you just happen to be out of town, you can always catch the podcast. Uh, Saturday Morning Coffee is now available as an Apple podcast. You can search for us in your Apple podcast app or most other, uh, podcast services. Very interesting, Glenn, you know, when you publish a podcast, Mm -hmm. it just starts getting re we're, we're picked up by various, I, I published it in Apple. And, uh, so now we're, we're picked up on all any, any number of podcast services. And I'm like, well, well, how does that work? You know, because technically that's, you know, I mean, technically it's copyrighted material. I don't really care. You know, we don't charge for the podcast, but it's, uh, Interesting to me, it's been picked up in a number of services. So now virtually um, anywhere you can find your podcast, if you'll search for Saturday Morning Coffee, uh, you'll find us. So uh, check us out. You can listen to us at your leisure. Um, Some of you have uh, commented on the hour. Some of you have indicated you uh, make special effort to get up and and listen with us on Saturday morning. So We appreciate that. But you can, if you're so inclined, uh, catch us on the podcast at any time. And again, that's uh, Saturday Morning Coffee in your Apple Podcast menu.
2: I'm thinking that Apple, when you when you posted it to Apple, you gave up the rights to it and they distribute it. That's what I'm betting. I well, mean, they it, they, be. t-
1: they tell you to put a copyright message in there, huh? So each well, they each must po- have, they must have connections
2: with other places. Yeah, other it's, uh, I, it's uh, the uh,
1: it's the wild west of the <coughs> internet. It's alive and well. Again, folks, I'm Reese Boyd, local attorney with the firm of Davis and Boyd, part-time radio host. I'm your guide and your narrator on this excursion into broadcast. Excellent, excellent. So I was striving for excellence, (laughs) hesitating there a little bit. We do our best not only to entertain but to enlighten you and help make you a better citizen of the republic, which we all definitely need to be, especially during these uh, trying times. Yeah, I want to remind everyone that freedom really does hang in the balance. Your freedom, my freedom, all our freedoms hang in the balance. The country that we will leave to our children. Our grandchildren and their children really does hang in the balance. That's why we must always be vigilant. Stand up, speak out for what you know to be true. Stand up and speak out for what you know to be right. Your freedom depends on it. My freedom depends on it. The freedom of those that will come after us, our children, our grandchildren, our grandchildren's children. They are all relying on us not to mess this up. Don't mess this up. And don't let it be messed up now or at any time on our watch. Here at Saturday Morning Coffee, we're all about limited government, lower taxes, because that means more freedom for you and me and all of us who are. We are the people. And uh, we got a country to save, and it certainly applies today. So let's get to it. Uh, first thing this morning, Glenn, I want to thank Liz and Javi for uh, filling in for me last week. They did Y'all did a great job. I should say them. Y'all did a great job with the show, as, as always. No, no surprises, but we... Uh, we enjoyed listening to y'all. Yeah, they're fun. They're oh, fun. yeah. Great people. And um, love Liz and Javi, and I'm so happy for them. Glad, can't wait for their wedding. Looking forward to that. Um, and so if you guys are listening, uh, good morning. Hope y'all are enjoying some coffee this morning. We, um, As I said, I was on a camping trip with family and some friends. We had planned it for a while. The timing ultimately seemed to be a little bit awkward, but we, uh, we, um, we decided to go ahead and take the trip. We had planned it. We had a great time. Um, and it was nice to, it was frankly nice to do a little unplugging. Um, but also wanted to share, we've got some great listeners, Glenn, just great, great folks. Had a listener call my office this, this week just to check on me. Uh, had two listeners call this week to tell me they set their alarm clocks for Saturday morning coffee so they don't miss it on Saturday morning. Thank y'all. And uh, had one, uh, two listeners last week, Terry and Roy Ford, Ford call, and uh, we talked about the flooding issue. And then uh, lo and behold, this week, Terry brought some coffee. Uh, To my office She brought me some uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company. Oh, Black Rifle, yeah Yeah, yeah. And it is really good I want to give out a shout To uh, Terry and Roy Terry, thank you for the coffee Thank you so much I was on a conference call When she stopped by the office Didn't get to, to speak with her Face to face But Terry, I'm so thankful for that so obviously a lot going on, a um, lot to talk about, and uh, we'll uh, get all get to all that uh, in a few in a few moments. Right after these words from our sponsors, we've got more Saturday morning coffee coming right up. Don't leave town.
0: morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour and more coming up next on talk 94.5 saturday morning coffee the reese boyd radio hour is now two full hours full hours on talk 94.5
1: Hanging around, wearing me out. Welcome back to more Saturday morning coffee. Hope you guys are doing okay this morning. Sheltering in place. Have I said that I really hate that phrase, Glenn? Sheltering in place. Sheltering in place. place.
2: Never a good thing.
1: I I do not like that phrase.
2: Never a good thing. And actually, you know, it's a great day to work out in the yard. Yeah, it is a great day. You know, stay at home. Stay away. You know, the doctors are doing it for us, so do it for them. Stay at home. Yeah. Um, 64 degrees just as you start the morning, and uh, it's going up to 80. Got thirty thirty 30% chance of rain this afternoon. 30%? Uh, and that'll be late. That'll probably be around yeah. 7 p.m.
1: And we could use a little rain, clean out the air a little bit, Yeah, get some of that pollen down. Tell me something I don't already know, folks. If you want to join the show, just a reminder, call us on our uh, call-in lines at 843-903-2945 or text us on the PCRX text line at 843-798-TALK. That's 843-798-8255. We've already had Albert checking in this morning. Albert, good morning to you. Augie, the golf course guy, also checking in this morning. Augie's checking in with a question. Hugh Hewitt, according to Augie, was talking this morning about a revenue replacement. Augie, you really are a morning person, aren't you? Um, Hugh Hewitt this morning talking about revenue replacement instead of unemployment insurance. I believe Hugh was talking about airlines. And uh, Augie wants to know my thoughts. And, you know, we're we're in unchartered... Uh, waters to put it mildly, folks, mm-hmm. and we're um, we're, we're going to have to do some things that you know may run counter to some of our initial principles, some of our uh, first principles, and and it may not seem uh, intuitive in every instance. One of the things I would say about um, uh, the the revenue bill for the airlines, you know, in the I think after 9/11, uh, there was a gentleman being interviewed. I, I heard probably the same segment you heard, Augie. There was a gentleman being um, uh, interviewed on the uh, Hugh Hewitt show this morning from the airline industry. And he said, you know, look, after 9-11, there were there was a there was, I think, a five billion dollar revenue guarantee. And then an additional tranche of lending at at uh, a at at level of about 10 billion. And I'm just speaking from what I heard this morning. So don't quote me. But the 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 lending came with with so many strings attached that according to um, what was uh, being represented this morning, you um, that the um, uh, the the lending facility just wasn't wasn't effective, and so uh, the uh, so I think the old expression "I'm from the government and I'm here to help uh, mm-hmm. certainly applies I think whatever the government does, we should really make sure that it's that it's simple that it's efficient that it quickly gets money into the hands of the people who need it and that it, and that it actually helps and so Um, that's, uh, you know, and we should also, here's the thing with government action, folks, every, uh, every action, uh, almost always have, has, uh, one or more unintended, uh, reactions. You know, there's a cause and effect with everything that government does. For instance, I noticed this morning that there's a moratorium on foreclosures, which I don't think is a bad idea. South Carolina had already implemented by the Supreme Court, a moratorium on foreclosure actions in the state uh, for the time being. I think the uh, federal action runs through the end of April. So if you're not able to make your rent payment exactly uh, at this moment, you're not going to immediately face eviction as you might otherwise. Of course, you know, everybody's got to get 30 days notice uh, in South Carolina, at least under the, uh, other, under the residential landlord tenant act. But nonetheless, um, you know, I just want to use that as an example yeah, I think a moratorium on foreclosures is a great idea, uh, for the moment, but at the same time, there are people out there who depend on rental income to live. And, and I, you know, I have one client, she, she can't work, but she has a couple of rental houses and she depends on that money. So if she's not getting her, uh, rental income that she depends on to live and she's otherwise not able to work, then, you know, what is, so every government action, um, has consequences, and we have to think through those consequences and think what are the what are the downstream ramifications of what we're doing. And uh, but back to Augie's question, you know, my concern is what the government should do. It must be direct. It must be targeted. It must be efficient, and it must actually help. And it must be something that the airlines are willing to participate in. Um, it, it's got to be something that's that's uh, you know sufficiently uh, helpful that it's not just a huge waste of time. And, of course, the airline industry said that this representative this morning who was speaking um, about the uh, airline bailouts after 9-11 basically weren't as effective, um, you know, as they should have been. But another thing I want to say, revenue, uh, revenue guarantee, that concept to me to to further answer Augie's question is a little bit problematic. I think we need to we need to remember, folks. We are spending borrowed money. Okay, we have a serious even before the coronavirus uh, problem arose. We had a we have we have had and we have now a serious fiscal and looming monetary problems in this country. And I don't think it's smart for us. To take measures, even as an emergency step in response to the coronavirus outbreak that dooms us fiscally or monetarily in the long run. And one of the things I just, you know, remind y'all, up until the coronavirus outbreak, up until about 10 days ago, uh, American Airlines and other airlines were extremely profitable. (laughs)
2: Very profitable.
1: So, theoretically, they should be sitting on some cash reserves. I know they're burning through a ton of cash right now, but they should be sitting on some cash reserves. I don't know the exact number. But, you know, American Airlines over the last decade has been engaged in an aggressive stock buyback program. Well, what is a stock buyback program? That's when a company that's publicly traded or it doesn't have to be publicly traded, I guess any company can buy back its own shares, but when a company has so much cash that it goes out into the market and buys its stock. American Airlines has been doing it. American Airlines had a in 2006 made about 250 million annually. The profit for two, for American Airlines in 2015 went from 250 million in 2006 to 7.6 billion. Hmm. $7.6 billion with a B is what they made in 2015. So I think we have to be very careful and cognizant of the fact that we're spending money to do this, that we are effectively borrowing from our grandchildren. And so we, are, we have to make prudent decisions. Yes, we're going to have to dip into the, the, what borrowing power we have but we have got to be prudent about it we've got to be prudent about it the physical health of this country is is in really bad shape but right now it's it is it, that that problem is uh, superseded by the clear and present danger that the corona the coronavirus presents so yeah we've got to act but we've got to be prudent and just guaranteeing the revenue guaranteeing revenue of a company that until just a few days ago, was extremely profitable and should have a bunch of money laying around somewhere or perhaps, you know, unfortunately, selling its stock at the moment, as you guys can imagine, all the mm-hmm. stock that it's been buying back. Uh, you know, this will this will underscore, I think, the dangers for companies. Apple has been buying back a ton of its stock lately because Apple's had more cash than the mint. So, But the recent crash in the market, I think, will uh, perhaps demonstrate to companies that... You know, buying their own stock may not be a safe haven for their cash. <laughs> Maybe they ought to think about another strategy in the next round. But but yeah, so that's my concern, Augie, about that. Um, and you know, but but several big questions are on my mind about this. And um, I, I want to touch on this. We'll spend a while talking about it. But two questions that have been gnawing at me for the last couple of days. And uh, I would I'd be loved. I'd love to hear y'all's thoughts. Um. And Augie says, thanks. You're welcome, Augie. Always always a pleasure to have you guys participate. But first question is, how did this thing start? And there's a lot of misinformation out there. There's a lot of conspiracy theories out there. We have to really work hard to separate the wheat from the chaff. But I really would like to figure out, how did this thing actually start? And the uh, the second big question on my mind is, how did it seem to catch us so far off guard? Mm. So two questions that haven't been adequately addressed, let alone answered. We'll discuss them. Love to hear your comments. Stick with us. We'll be right back with a lot more Saturday morning coffee.
0: Saturday morning coffee call the show at 843-903-2945 the Reese Boyd radio hour returns after these on talk 94.5 Saturday morning coffee the Reese Boyd radio hour on talk 94.5
1: everybody, welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. A little David Gray to get your Saturday morning going. We were talking about the airline bailout just before the break. Answering some questions that uh, Augie, the golf course guy, had sent to us from our text list of deplorables. Thanks, Augie, for those questions. And uh, I left you with a couple of uh, the other thing I would say about that before we move on is, you know, I, I think the uh, emphasis here needs to be on putting um, funds, putting liquidity, putting money in the hands of folks who are most uh, desperately needing it. I'm You know, I, I know uh, Nikki Haley, uh, there were some mixed reactions to her resignation from the Boeing board. And I I hesitate to say this. I think corporations should be preserved to the extent that that there's an unavoidable, uh, you know, national interest case to be made. But, you know, if if corporations are extremely profitable and they're sitting on cash reserves, then, no, they don't get a bailout. I'm sorry. Just, you know, these things are things that happen and we don't the government is not the guarantor of every corporation that suffers a down quarter. And, and the other question is, how do, we, how do we determine those industries that get bailed out and those that do not? Do the local restaurants get bailed out? Do they get revenue guarantees? Think about that. Yeah, we don't want American Airlines to go bankrupt, but what about the guy? What about your neighbor who runs a restaurant three blocks down the road? Does he get a revenue guarantee? I haven't heard any, I, you know, I mean, yeah, we're talking about small business loans. But the, the point being, the I think the, the relief here has to be broad and shallow. It's got to reach the number, the greatest number of people possible. It needs to be somehow targeted to the people who actually need it, which, if you'll allow me, considering we're talking about the government, I'm not entirely optimistic. But nonetheless, it is what it is. It's going to happen. But having said that, you know, we we have got to do something. We can't sit back and let the world collapse in front of our eyes, but we got to keep our eyes on the prize. We got to keep our we got to try to stay true to the conservative values that have made this country what it is. You know, it, it listen. It isn't all this wealth that we were all so excited about two months ago. It wasn't created by universal basic income. It wasn't created by universal health care. It wasn't created by any of the convoluted, nonsensical socialist ideas that Bernie Sanders talks about on the campaign trail. It was talked. It was it was it was created by private capital, private capital being put at risk by entrepreneurs who know what people need. And that's where the solution is. Harness the power of the market to beat this virus. That's where the solution is. And it's easier said than done. I know that sounds a little bit like a platitude, but we can't lose sight in the midst of this, of all that has made this country what it is. That's all I'm saying. Um, And uh, right before the... Oh, and the other thing, too, is uh, in addition to small business, we also need relief for the working people who are living paycheck to paycheck. And I know Nikki Haley caught some flack for... Resigning from the Boeing board, I heard a few of my political crony friends inside the Beltway tell me that that's just, uh, you know, political, uh, whatever, grandstanding, you know, you name it. You know what? I say good for her. If you're willing to resign from a corporate board like Boeing, because. You have concerns about the way the relief package is being is being strategized or being contemplated, and you think that the relief is going to the wrong people and you don't want to be a part of it. God bless her. Anyway, it's a lot to figure out. We're in, we are, I keep saying this and I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself. We're in uncharted waters and we don't really know exactly what the answer is. But before the break, I left you with two interesting questions in my mind, things that I've been pondering. How did this thing start? And two, why did it seem to catch us so far off guard? That's my, that's a real question that I have. But, um, you know, how did this thing start? You know, I don't know if you guys have been following but there are all kind of crazy conspiracy theories on the net that, you know, folks are talking about and the Chinese, the Chai have been pushing this this propaganda that the coronavirus, the Wuhan flu, or as the president would say, that China virus, that it was the creation of the CIA. And this, that the CIA somehow planted it in China. And that that's where the uh, that's where the virus originated. Well, that's crazy. I mean, there's conspiracy theories out there about Bill Gates and Obama. I mean, there are some really nutty theories out there online, folks. And um, so, don't believe everything you read. If that's the case, why didn't they? Why did they try and hide it?
2: Why didn't they come out and say they had human-to-human transmission? Yeah,
1: absolutely. There, there is no doubt. There is no doubt that the the closed nature of Chinese society has created. Uh, much of this problem oh yeah
2: had had they given us you know a month notice three weeks I think it was they said uh, we would be in much better shape had we known that it was communicable between humans Um, I'm disappointed in them the world is disappointed in them and this this could be S- something of the norm now. I mean, you yeah. know, we're seeing more. Well,
1: and I think I think, you know, there, we don't know everything, but we do know enough. Here's the thing that concerns me. There's a lot of misinformation out there. But one of the things we do know, I have seen pretty solid data that indicates, you know, the Chinese pursued this narrative uh, before the CIA narrative, before the CIA propaganda. And we're really in a propaganda war. There's an actual battle Uh, between, uh, you know, our government and the Chinese government trying to establish the narrative for how this thing actually evolved or was created. And the initial story coming out of China, as you guys will recall, was that that this thing just sort of emerged out of a wet market in Wuhan, China, Mm -hmm. and that uh, people started getting sick inside the market. But we know for a fact that patient zero was outside of that wet market. The, the, The virus did not emerge from that seafood market. The virus entered that seafood market on a human carrier. So whether or not we'll ever know exactly where this thing was created or if it was created or how it was created, I don't know. But one of the things that I believe is we have got to do our best to get to the bottom of it even if that means pushing the Chinese to, uh, you know, an, an uncomfortable position. We've got to get the information to the extent that we can to figure out how this thing started. And because, frankly, you know, if, if there's things that we can do in the future to be more prepared, we need to be more prepared. Um, and, and honestly, if it if it does turn out, that this thing, it does leave me troubled. I mean, no, I'm not convinced that it's something other than a natural occurrence. And I'm not going to suggest to you otherwise. But it does trouble me yeah. that there's a P4 bioweapons research facility run by the Chinese Communist Party or, you know, by the, the, the army, basically, the, the Communist Party, the CHICOMs. And it's within a stone's throw of the wet market where they're saying this thing originated right and and if it does ultimately uh determine that you know there that this thing was somehow created uh we need to get we need to get to the bottom of it we need to get to the bottom of who created it if it didn't just happen we need to figure out who created it and if it was created in a chinese lab uh, I don't know how you hold those folks accountable, but uh, I mean that's you know uh, it's maybe it's negligence, but it 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 just uh, it it feels almost like an act of war, folks. And uh, I, I know that's a crazy statement, but that's what it feels like right now. So we'll uh, move to question two. I also ask you guys a, another fundamental question: Why does it seem to have caught us so far off guard? I was looking back through my notes. As I prepared for uh, you good folks this morning, one of the things that struck me as truly startling is about uh, less than, well, about a month ago, uh, you know, the the if you go back and look at the coronavirus coverage just 30 days ago, uh, it says uh, virus disrupts auto supply chain. I mean, 30 days ago in The Wall Street Journal, the, the, the main headlines related to coronavirus were the fact that it was just, we were worried about assembly lines. In, in North America, not having the parts that they need to keep building cars on a regular basis. And so suddenly, you know, 30 days ago, we were worried about supply chain reliability, supply chain durability, how we're so dependent on the Chinese. And yes, we should be very worried about that. But how did we get from there to being in the midst of an existential struggle for survival? And, and how did it seem to catch us off guard? And I'm not picking on the president. But three weeks ago, the president said, well, this probably isn't going to be a big deal for most Americans. And then suddenly overnight, it's, you know, it's an existential threat. But a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack. And uh, the climbers have chimed in. Yes, I'm on point. It is an act of war. And uh, we'll have to get to the bottom of that, folks. Thanks for the thanks for the tweets. We're getting more tweets. I'll be back. With a lot more, stick around. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee. Don't leave town.
0: Local news and more. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese means more coffee. Coming up next on Talk 94.5. You're listening to the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. Saturday morning coffee on Talk 94.5. Gonna close my eyes.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd. Been talking about the thing that everybody's talking about these days, the coronavirus pandemic. And uh, what's uh, in store for us in the days ahead. It um, is is, uh, going to continue to progress, folks. We can be... uh, confident of that but uh, we will get through this and um, I, we, we were just before the break we were talking about a question that's been on my mind a couple of questions that have been on my mind which uh, the second question is how did it seem how does it seem that this has caught us uh, so far off guard and I don't know that there will be a perfect answer to that question I'm pretty confident there won't be a perfect answer to that question but it's the obvious question that we need uh, to be asking, because obviously, you know, this is not, you know, we had several different um, opportunities to confront what I would call near misses in the pandemic space. We've had F1, H1N1, the, the SARS, we've had the, um, you know, there, there have been various things that have happened in the past and i mean when i say the past i mean within the past 10 to to 15 years Mm -hmm. that that basically should have put us all on notice should have put our government on notice that this is not an unheard of event so i think the reasonable question is how is it that we aren't better prepared for this and i'm not i'm not going to go i'm not going to beat up on anybody i'm not going to criticize anybody i am not criticizing the president when i say that you know as i said a month ago. In the context of coronavirus, we were talking about supply chains. Why were we worried about a supply? Who cares about a supply chain? If the world is going to end in 30 days, that's my concern. Why were we so bent out of shape about supply chains 30 days ago?
2: I'm curious as to why we didn't bring more drug manufacturing back to the United States after we've seen the swine flu and other. Yeah. Excellent.
1: Excellent question. We are
2: stuck. And, 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 And what do you think they're going to do? If we keep bad mouthing them about the Chinese flu versus calling it, you know, the coronavirus, and
1: yeah, I mean, we're 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 they've got us over a barrel. Well, you realize, of course, that China has already threatened to withhold material necessary for the the um, you know the creation of, of these antibodies, the 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 raw materials that we need, and and so there are obviously invaluable lessons that I hope we all learn here. Um, When the rubber hits the road, when the plow mud hits the fan, you see how the Chinese government responds. First of all, they're now blaming all of this on us, but you know, a company not like 3M, Minnesota Mining Manufacturing, American company, goes to China because they wanna go to China. They build a factory to make surgical masks and when the rubber hits the road, Glenn, who owns that factory? The Chinese. The Chinese own that factory. Exactly. 3M think they own that mm-hmm. factory. The stockholders of 3M who support this globalization strategy think they own that factory. But guess what? In the, in the end analysis, the final result. At the end of the day, as they like to say, a phrase that I hate almost as much as sheltering in place, at the end of the day, the people who own that factory are the Chinese. And when the world desperately needs the surgical masks that are rolling off the assembly line in that factory, who gets them? Does 3M get them? No, 3M has the Chinese Communist Party gets them. And 3M has to go send its people to negotiate with the Chinese to figure out how many of their masks they get to keep. This is crazy. This is absolutely insane. This is the equivalent of, at the height of the Cold War, the U.S. going to St. Petersburg, Russia, to build anti-aircraft battery uh, factories, you know, to, get our, to, to build tanks in St. Petersburg. I mean, if war breaks out, what's the first thing the Russians are going to stop doing? They're going to stop shipping tanks to us. This is nuts. And it's very clear uh, that the, the Chinese are not cooperating with us right now, not fully. And there's a fair amount of pressure on them on the world stage. And frankly, I think at, at the end of the day, this may be the curtain call for the Chinese Communist Party. We'll have to see how this plays out. But uh, we need to be asking ourselves, and I'm not throwing anybody under the bus, least of all the president at this moment. But at the end of this process, we have got to ask ourselves, how did we get into this mess? Yes, we are way too, way too dependent upon China. All Think about all the technology, Apple, everything, everything that Apple sells, essentially, with the exception of one computer, made in China. All of these vaccines, 90%, 95% of the raw material for these vaccines made in China. All of these surgical masks made in China. If there is anything that we learn from this, we should learn just how freaking vulnerable we are as a nation, as a society, as a culture. And we should start taking steps to try and remedy that. And I guess as a consumer, what that means, if it says... Made in China, you should think really hard about whether or not you want to carry that around. If it says, designed by Apple, made in China, designed by Apple in California, made in China, I don't really care where the person who designed it was sitting, but I care an awful lot about where uh, it was manufactured.
2: We've become independent on natural gas and oil. Okay, We're an independent nation. We don't need anybody's help. Why in the world haven't we become independent in our antibiotics and drugs? Absolutely, and why did why did we not learn this lesson before now? Think of the jobs that would be created by just bringing it home, and the, having that independence and that safety factor. We don't have a safety net right now. We could be cut off, and a lot of more suffering will happen. Yeah,
1: without those drugs, it's. Um... It's really nuts, and we've got to get to the bottom of it. Mm. It's uh, going to be a serious issue that we face. Bill Barrett uh, on our text list of deplorables texted that uh, the, uh, uh, Obama outlawed manufacturing of lead bullets in the United States, and that's uh, not a national security issue. I'm not sure if he's saying that is a national security issue. Mm. I think we've got several items, Bill, that we no longer make, and we, could, and we will, I think,
2: Yeah, this will probably turn us around.
1: We have to sit down and make a list of all the things, and we've got to figure out a way. You know, I have a friend that works for Apple, and he said, Reese, if we had to build the iPhone stateside, it would take us 10 years to figure out how to build Mm -hmm. the iPhone stateside. And frankly, folks, the iPhone may cost $2,500, $3,000 if you build it in California. I really don't care. I mean, I do, but I'm a droid guy anyway, you know, or whatever <laughs> no, Android, you know, let, we, yeah. we could bring Google into this discussion. Yeah. I just I'm an Apple guy, so I, yeah. I default to Apple. But if it costs a little more, I'm OK paying. I mean, it already costs, what, eighteen hundred dollars to get a phone now. I mean, it's crazy <laughs> money anyway. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they're building it in China is because they can essentially build it with slave labor. So I don't even like carrying a phone that's built with slave labor anyway. I know we've made uh, we've made progress in that regard. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, we've got to ma- ask ourselves some very hard questions about how dependent we are upon these overseas manufacturing hubs that, can be shut- that are not only just overseas, but are under the control of governments who are openly hostile to us. Mm-hmm. And we've got to fix that problem.
2: You know, so- I sell shades and shutters, and I- my shutters do not come from China. A lot of uh, places out there. Uh, they, they make the best shutter in the world, hands down. Okay, I agree with that. But I've never chosen to chi- sell
1: the uh, the, sh- the Chinese shutters. So coming up after the break, we've got uh, we're going to hear from Representative Bill Taylor. We're going to shift the discussion to uh, something different. I think y'all might be um, interested to um, uh, you might be interested to hear a little bit about something other than the coronavirus. I've got a couple of other things I want to share about the coronavirus, but we'll uh, get to that. After the break, you're listening to Saturday Morning Coffee coming up on the bonus second cup hour. So pour yourself that second cup and stick with us. We'll be right back.
0: Thanks for waking up with Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour on Talk 94.5.
3: Keep my hands to myself Think I'd just put a back up on the shelf In case my little baby girl is in need I'm a coming out of love field Ooh, I'm a rebel just for kicks now I've been feeling it like since 1966 now Might be all right hey, Good morning, everybody. Welcome back true. to
1: Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. I am Reese Boyd, your host for the Saturday Morning Coffee show, you're into the second bonus cup hour, so you got that second cup going. Good for you. Remind you guys that we welcome uh, your comments on the show. We welcome your texts. We've been getting quite a few texts this morning. You can reach us on the uh, call-in line at uh, two nine, excuse me, nine zero three two nine four five. That's eight four three nine zero three two nine four five. You can also text your comments to. Eight four three seven nine eight talk. Join our list of text list of deplorables on the PCRX text line. And a little in a few moments, we're going to be hearing from Representative Bill Taylor, who's got something other than coronavirus uh, he wants to talk about, which you guys will I'm sure enjoy. And uh, but I wanted to share something with you. We don't read a lot uh, from the news on this show, but I did. There's one thing that Dennis Prager wrote uh, this week. I'm going to post a link to it on our Facebook page. And I think you guys need to hear it. It's one of the smartest things that I've seen written about coronavirus yet. And uh, I give Dennis Prager all the credit for this. This is his uh, work, not mine. But I think it's worth sharing with you in case you haven't seen it. And the, the comment here, and by the way, don't jump to conclusions. The, the title is somewhat um, uh, uh, apprehensive but, um, and, and perhaps misleading. But I think the underlying thoughts in the article are just excellent. Dennis's article is entitled, uh, Why the Remedy May Be Worse Than the Disease. And he's referring to the uh, steps we're taking to combat coronavirus. This was, um, uh, I printed it on the 19th. He may have posted it uh, a day or two before that. Maybe, uh, I think he may have posted it on the 18th. But why the remedy may be worse than the disease, this is, again, is Dennis Prager, and we'll post a link to this on our Facebook page. Search uh, Saturday Morning Coffee in Facebook, and you'll and like us if you would, and you'll find a link to that. As of this writing, says Dennis Prager, 6,400 people all over the world have died from the coronavirus. In the United States, 68 people have died. I will tell you, that number is out of date. Uh, most recent numbers uh, on fatalities in the U.S. as of yesterday are approximately 220. Uh, Chinese deaths account for approximately half the worldwide total. If you add Italy and Iran, two countries where many Chinese were allowed in until recently, that totals another 2,165. Again, that total also uh, somewhat dated now. In other words, outside China, Italy, and Iran, 1,018 people as of this writing, when Dennis wrote this, had died. There are 7.8 billion People in the world. Regarding Italy, the Jerusalem Post has noted that Italy's higher death rate was likely due to the fact that elderly people make up a greater percentage of the population than they do in other countries such as China and France. Former CBS correspondent Cheryl Atkinson noted Italy has the oldest population in Europe and more elderly people per capita than the u.s most italian deaths are patients in their 80s and 90s in addition italy has a great number of direct china contacts that's true y'all if you go to northern italy uh, these days it's like an expatriate chinese community it's apparently where well-to-do chinese go to retire but uh italy's deaths are out of a population of 60 million people Regarding Iran, the Wall Street Journal reported on March 11, Iranian officials traced the origin of the country's coronavirus epidemic to the holy city of Qom, home to a number of Chinese-backed infrastructure projects built by scores of workers and technicians from China. China has turned into a very toxic bomb, said Sanam Fakil, Deputy Middle East Director, at Chatham House, a think tank in London. Meanwhile, President Trump announced a ban on flights to and from China on January 31, for which... I think this is important for you guys to remember, for which he was denounced by leading Democrats and throughout voices on the left. The very next day, presidential candidate and former vice president Joe Biden declared this is not a time for Donald Trump's record of hysteria and xenophobia, hysterical xenophobia or fear mongering. That's your uh, Democratic presidential candidate, by the way. On February 2nd, the American Civil Liberties Union announced these measures are extraordinary incursions on liberty and fly in the face of considerable evidence that travel bans and quarantines do more harm than good. Where, where is that considerable evidence? I would like to see that, ACLU. Current consensus, back to Dennis Prager, the current consensus favors near total social isolation or social distancing, as it is now called. The thinking is we must shut down the Western world to prevent the exponential growth of the virus. If we don't, our hospital systems will be overwhelmed. There's a lot of truth in that, frankly. Many thousands, maybe more, would die as doctors have to make grisly triage decisions about who gets care and who does not. This latter scenario is reported to have already happened in Italy, and it is happening to a degree in Italy already. It has happened. Though there is no longer exponential growth in the United States, they may also otherwise be right. Is the thinking correct? The truth is... We don't know. And again, this is Dennis Prager, not me, but I think this article is well worth digesting. We have no idea how many people carry the COVID-19 coronavirus. Therefore, rates of either critical illness or death are completely unknown. Perhaps millions of people have the virus and nothing serious develops, in which case we would have rates of death similar to or even below the standard flu virus. On the other hand, perhaps not many people carry the virus, but the rates of illness demanding intensive care and of death are much greater than those of the flu. We can only be certain that shutting down virtually every part of society will result in a large number of people economically ruined, life savings depleted, decades of work building a restaurant or some other small business destroyed. As if that were not bad enough, the ancillary effects would include increased depression and divorce and other personal tragedies. The effects of closing schools for weeks and months would include family chaos, et cetera, et cetera. The Centers for Disease Control has uh, issued statements questioning whether closing the schools was really necessary. I happen to think it was prudent. Um, but the Centers for Disease Control, Disease Control did, did issue a statement saying available modeling data indicate that other mitigation efforts, hand-washing, home isolation, have more impact on both the spread of disease and health care measures than school closures. In other countries, those who close schools, for example, Hong Kong, have not had more success in reducing the spread than those that did not, for example, Singapore. But the long-term ripple effects are potentially far worse. Economic disasters rarely remain only economic disasters. To give a particular dramatic example, The Nazis in Germany came to power because the economics of Germany, more than any other single reason, including Germany's defeat in World War I, the Versailles Treaty, or anti-Semitism. Nazi success at the polls was almost entirely related to the failing Weimar German economy. Communist parties do not fare well in robust economies, but they're very tempting when people are in dire economic straits. Only God knows what economic dislocation, the shutting down of America and other Western economies will lead to. I'm not predicting a Nazi or communist ascendancy, but economic and political disaster may be as likely or even more likely than a health disaster. But here's a prediction. If the government can order society to cease functioning from restaurants and other businesses to schools due to a possible health disaster, it is highly likely that a Democratic president or Congress could similarly declare emergency and assert authoritarian rule in order to prevent what they consider to be an existential threat. And think about the things, this is me talking, not Dennis Prager, think about the things that the Democrats have identified as existential threats. Bernie Sanders thinks climate change is an existential threat. The dam, back to Dennis Prager, the dam has been broken. Maybe it was necessary. But when dams break, flooding follows. It's a very fascinating um, thought and... One that we have to keep in mind. We'll post a link to it on our Facebook page. Stick with us right after the break. We're going to be joining, we're going to be joined by uh, Representative, um, um, who's joining us? Uh, Bill Taylor. I'm sorry, I yeah. lost my page. That's okay, you lost <laughs> your panthers. I right. was on a roll. We're going to be joined by Representative Bill Taylor, who's going to talk about something other than the coronavirus. Okay. So thank y'all for joining us this morning. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee after these words from our sponsors. I'm Reese Boyd. We'll be right back.
0: Saturday morning coffee. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours. More Reese coming up next on Talk 94.5. The Reese Boyd Radio Hour, two full hours on Talk 94.5.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. You're into the bonus second cup hour of Saturday Morning Coffee. Hope you're enjoying the show. A lot to talk about, obviously. We've been, spent a lot of time talking about coronavirus this morning. But we're going to switch gears for a moment. On the line with us, we've got uh, Representative Bill Taylor of the South Carolina House of Representatives. and uh, Who is
2: drinking French rose, by the way, this he, morning.
1: Is he drinking French rose? Yeah, roast he's got his morning. coffee with you, Reese. Very good, very good. Representative Taylor, can you hear us?
4: I can hear you. Thank you for having me on this morning. I much appreciate it. And by the way, greetings from the west coast of South Carolina the, to the east coast.
1: The west coast. Are you are you uh, phoning it in from Aiken this morning, Representative Taylor? I,
4: I am, and you know we're on the Savannah River, and I refer to that as to the west coast.
1: You know that's an excellent point. I, I never thought about yeah. that, but y'all have the uh, Savannah River. Good, good for y'all. And the a Aiken, lovely town. My uh, my daughter loves horseback riding. By the way, so she loves to go to Aiken. Um, but... Well,
4: Aiken's a, Aiken's a special town. And listen, I, I really appreciate you asking me to, to visit with you this morning. As I told you earlier this week, I, I, I somewhat felt it inappropriate, given the coronavirus and where everybody is focused. I certainly get that. Uh, but uh, maybe this is a, a little bit of a, a diversion for everybody. We can talk about things that, uh, you know, the coronavirus and all of this is going to be passing by us at some point here. And hopefully we'll be back to some normalcy. Uh, and uh, the issue we're talking about here is uh, a runaway Congress yeah. and uh, an out-of-control bloated federal government. And uh, that, that should be important to us, uh, every one of us, because it affects our, our lives, takes our personal liberty away. Um, and, and you know, given what uh, you just read a few moments ago from uh, Dennis Prager, um, You know, that's concerning. Um, uh, It doesn't take much, as uh, President Reagan once said, to uh, uh, one generation. You can lose your liberty.
1: Absolutely. Freedom is uh, never more than a generation away from extinction, and uh, we have to always keep that in mind. Let me set the stage, uh, Representative. You are a member of the South Carolina House of Representatives. You represent, of course, Aiken, uh, a region within Aiken, and perhaps you can give us a little more detail on that, but you have been instrumental in the, on the House side, in the leadership of a bill that calls for what is being referred to as an Article 5 uh, Convention of the States. And I noticed that this, uh, and I do think, to, to your point, that people, uh, we all just get a little worn out from talking about coronavirus. It, it is information overload. And I think uh, people are occasionally, uh, even in the midst of all this, wanting to hear about something else. There are, life does go on. And there are other things that are worth talking about. And I thought this was interesting and it would be a nice uh, break from the coronavirus discussion. But can you tell us briefly, uh, if you would, a lot of folks probably haven't heard about this. But one of the things I noticed, it was getting a lot of uh, very active discussion among the people who are informed about this issue. It seems to attract a lot of strongly opposed and strongly in, in favor of. And uh, and of course, I have some thoughts on this from my background. But why don't you briefly explain I believe it's your bill. Explain to the folks uh, what the bill does. And I think you just got voted out of the House Judiciary Committee to the House floor. And that was a sort of a victory that you had in March, if I'm not mistaken. But why don't you give us the background on that, if you would, Representative?
4: Well, happy to do that, and I'll take just a, a, a moment to sort of back up and give you the, the bigger picture of this the, uh, so, so everyone understands. There's two ways uh, that you can, as uh, the founders gave us, to amend the Constitution, and the Congress certainly has that right to propose amendments. Well, so do the states. Look at Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. Our framers put that in there because they knew at some point it was very likely that Congress would be out of control. The federal government would be what it is today, which is too big, too bloated and too all powerful. It was never intended that way under federalism. So they they said, States, you've got to have a right to do this because Congress will never fix itself, which we now know that's absolutely true. Um, So uh, what, what in the framework of this is very simple. If, and it works just like Congress. Think of it this way. Congress can, at any given time, can propose an amendment to the Constitution. Now, it has to have uh, a significant vote, two-thirds of Congress, to to approve putting it out to the states. Uh, on average, about uh, 100 uh, amendments are proposed every session in Congress. Uh, been 11,000 of them, by the way, over the years. So <laughs> not a new concept here. Hmm. Uh, Fortunately, uh, there's a very high jump bar. When Congress sends it out to the states, it takes three-quarters of the states to approve any amendment. And that's why, you know, we have very few. The Bill of Rights, the first 10, and then you know, 27 amendments, and there you are. So, um, yeah, we, so term, we have, we so have
1: 27, so it, and we have 27 over 200-plus years, and we got 10 right off the bat. So...
4: Right. Yeah. So you have seventeen that really came along, and uh, and uh, you know most of them we we would think are pretty good adjustments. But those came from Congress. Well, the states can do the same thing because you know remember back in the day, down in the founding in in federalism, the states were were supposed to be really all powerful. The federal government had very and has and still does, by the way, very limited powers. It's very clear in the constitution. Constitution. Yep. Well, the original Constitution, if I might add, sure. because the, the the annotated Constitution, because of all the Supreme Court decisions, you know, is some 3,000 pages long. So when people talk about, oh, we can't touch a word of the, uh, uh, of the Constitution, we can't amend anything, it's just perfect. Well, first of all, the framers never expected it to be perfect. That's why they gave you an amendment process. And number two, they're talking about the original document you know, that hangs in Washington. They're not talking about the real one that we live by, which is 3,000 pages long. Yeah, that judges over the years have changed and modified and bastardized, I might add. So, you know, there's the problem, if you will. So this process, I'll I'll get right to the point. The process is the states can use Article 5 to come together. And here's the thing. It takes two-thirds of the states to agree to have an amendment convention, or a convention of the state. Two-thirds. That's a high jump bar. Takes yep. Thirty-four, okay? Uh, we're at 15 right now with this application. We could be 16 if we were so fortunate here in South Carolina. But uh, once that convention comes together and meets, and I'll tell you in a bit, I, I've actually participated in a simulated convention. It was awesome. Um, but once they come together, they would then, in full transparency, it would be televised and all that. They would debate and have committees, just like a legislature might, uh, and draft potential um, uh, amendments to the Constitution, you know, like term limits, balanced budget, sure. you know, little things like that. And then uh, if, if they if that convention approved it by a two-thirds vote, then it would be sent out to the state. It takes three-quarters of the state's.
1: To approve any any yeah.
4: any amendment, that is the highest jump bar, if you will, the sure. highest level of anything in the Constitution or in our legislative process. It's just just short of a unanimous vote.
1: So you're so, if I can clarify so, uh, the,
4: the the idea that uh, you know you'll hear the idea that it's a from a few objectors that it's a runaway thing, and you could have a runaway convention, and they could destroy and shred the Constitution. It's just absolute nonsense.
1: So there, the, your bill does not propose any specific amendments. It is simply a call to convention.
4: It, it is, but it does propose that uh, that everything that, uh, that our delegates would do, and in this resolution it's very clear, that they they are to limit the federal government. Sure. It does not anything about limiting personal freedoms. No one's going to strike the First and Second Amendment—freedom yeah. of speech, you know, right to bear arms. That, that's just nonsense. But the, the the objectors, and I want to talk about them in a few minutes here. But the, the you know they'll bring that stuff up to scare people.
1: Sure. Well, and it's always been curious to me, and I know, and I've got friends who are violently opposed—not violently, vehemently opposed—to uh, yeah. your bill. And it's funny because I think, well. You know, where is this opposition coming from? Because at the end of the day, as you said, Congress can propose an amendment anytime it wants to. They, they recently tried to vote on the ERA, resurrect a dead ERA, which was kind of interesting. So Congress itself doesn't get this right very much. And if anything is proposed in the convention that the states didn't like, they simply don't approve it. They just ignore it and it goes nowhere. So I don't understand what the fear mongering is all about.
4: I, uh, well, there are, there are, you know, look, we have all kinds of personalities and even in politics, obviously. Um, and the, the opposition to this is really very small,
3: mm-hmm. uh,
4: but they're loud and yeah. they, they're insistent in the emails and this stuff, but, but who they are, and it doesn't identify the John Birch society. And people say, I actually tell people that and they say, what's that? <laughs> And I go well. Well, it, most of our it, listeners, because,
1: most most of our listeners are probably saying, uh, you know, what, what exactly? I think we've all heard of it. I think it's you know a few references yeah. here and there.
4: Well, it came out. It came out of the fifties, you know, in yeah. the opposition to the UN and the one world government and all that. And by the way, the original founder of the John Birch Society was. I, I have seen videos of him giving a speech. He was all in favor of the Article Five Convention of State. Well, it's they, only when he when he died. The, the new leadership said, no, we're against it. So, th- but you've got the Phyllis Schaffley's, it who's passed now, but, but her little eagle organization and the John Birchers. and But you've got also 33,000 plus people in South Carolina. South Carolinians have signed a petition wanting this. You have a, a million and a half people nationwide that get it and are propelling this movement. Well, it's like a real national movement.
1: Yeah, and I think at this point, here's my concern and here's why I, I tend to, I mean, I'm not you know, really vocal one way or the other, by the way, we just got a text uh, representative from actually not from our text list of deplorables, but somebody is texting in telling us that, that we need a convention of the States and thanking you for your time. So uh, whoever you are, thank you for that text uh, coming in on our PCRX text line. But one of the things I think you and I talked about uh, representative Taylor is there, there are certain issues and I, and my pet issue is term limits. And, and then, of course, the other really pressing issue is uh, the fiscal end, the fiscal. End, and, of course, uh, now we're I think a, a subtext to that is monetary policy, because I think we're sowing some very, uh, you know, seeds on the monetary front that will come home to roost uh, soon. But it's very clear that Congress is just not going to fix those problems. We have been begging since Ronald Reagan took office, at least back to the 80s for Congress to fix this problem, and we've now been through, what, three, four generations of congressmen that have refused to fix the problem, so it seems to me that the states have to take up these issues. There's no choice if you want them fixed, if you want to get fiscal policy under control. We have to get these issues to the level of a constitutional amendment and get it adopted that nobody can ignore.
4: Well, I I firmly agree with you, Back to the, we, we have a runaway Congress. I mean, they're out of control. And if you really talk to a congressman, they'll tell you the inside story of all of this. And, you know, our congressmen go up there and um, unless you have 20, 25 years uh, of seniority and play the ball and play, play, the, play the game up there, you're not going to have really a whole lot of say as we've seen that. So, um limiting Congress, you know, there's a part of me that, that doesn't like term limits because the argument is that the bureaucracy will then take over because they know you're dead meat, you're going to be leaving in 8 years, 10 years, 12 years, whatever it is. But on the other hand, um, uh, there's hardly a way to get around this. But, you know, while I term limits, it's not only Congress, it's federal judges. I think they, I, I think now that we see, at least in my opinion— True. Um, I think we look at the Supreme Court lifetime federal judges. There's a lot of them, hundreds of them. Lifetime appointments? I don't think so. We don't do that in South Carolina. You know, yeah. we we are Supreme Court justices um, and and our circuit court judges; those are very important people. They can put yeah. you away for for life, right, or put you on death row. A- extremely uh, important.
1: They, they, um, they represent, are, representative uh, Taylor, let me let me interrupt you just one second. We've got uh, some got music go. in the background. that means we've got to go to a break. but can you stick, can you stick with yeah. us? can you stick with us through and, the break? Oh we got more to say. Yeah, we've got more to yes, talk sir. about with uh, with representative Bill Taylor. We'll be right back We're talking about his bill which calls for a constitutional convention. Stick with us. We'll be right back with more Saturday morning coffee right after these words from our sponsors Don't leave town.
3: weathered stores with open signs.
0: They may as well just close them down Text us, 843-798-TALK Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour On Talk 94.5 Saturday Morning Coffee The Reese Boyd Radio Hour is now two full hours Full hours on Talk 94.5
3: If you've been walking the same old road for miles and miles if you've been hearing the same old voice of the same old lies If you're trying to feel the same old holes inside There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain, he's a pain taper. If you feel lost, he's a way he man if you need freedom, save it. He's a prison-shaking savior. If you got chains, he's a chain-breaker.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee. Yes, he is a chain-breaker. We're talking to Representative Bill Taylor. Uh, we're getting tons of texts. You guys are just texting like crazy. And I hope all you guys who are texting in will uh, shoot us your name so we can add you to the text list of deplorables. All you credulous boomer rubes out there texting in need to be added to our database. What do you call them, boomer rubes? Uh, yeah, credulous boomer rubes. You know what Don Lemon thinks of our fine listeners. Uh, we need a convention of the states. time for the states to have their day and bring their power back as originally intended. Get on board South Carolina. Well, another text, Washington will not fix itself. What I was just saying, our founders gave us a solution to an out-of-control federal government. Yada, yada, yada. Great text. Thank you, Representative Taylor. Convention of the States is the only way to rein in the federal government. All kind of text coming in. So we're touching a nerve. Uh, Representative Taylor, uh, thank you for joining us. Representative Bill Taylor on the line from Aiken, who uh, is the champion of a bill in the South Carolina House of Representatives that has called for a constitutional convention. South Carolina now joining other states, potentially. Uh, We just got to get through the Senate. But South Carolina, potentially joining other states and calling for a convention, uh, representative Taylor, just before the break, uh, you were talking about uh, judicial reform and, and an, uh, that 's another topic that Congress seems uh, refuse or, you know hesitant to touch. We talked about lifetime tenure you know while we 're on the subject i 'll throw this at you. Uh, another issue and you know i 'm a lawyer, my day job is practicing law and, and sometimes frankly on this show, I say things that may not be particularly helpful to my legal career but one of the things, uh, because it may not set well with some of the judges I appear in front of, if you are listening, Judge, I apologize. Um, but one of the things that I think we got to take a look at is, you know, these judges that you're talking about, these federal judges, a U.S. District Court judge sitting in, you know, Timbuktu, Nebraska, should not be, should not be empowered to issue a nationwide injunction against the President of the United States. If I, if I,
4: no, that, that's absolutely true. I mean, I, you know, I think we've all seen that this is out of control with federal judges and, uh, funny thing happens if they know that they only have a term of, let's say 10 years, like our judges do, uh, our Supreme court justices here in South Carolina, every 10 years, they can run for reelection, but, but you know, people are going to look at their records in our case, the legislature, uh, you know, elects those people. So we look at their records real, real closely, um, uh, it keeps them in check. But why would you put a guy or a gal in place in you know, Timbuktu, Nebraska, as you said, or worse yet, in San Francisco, and let them be a uh, king for life? Sure. King for life. Yep. It was never intended to be that way. Uh, so it, it's not, that part has not worked out too well.
1: Yeah. And, you know, when you and I were talking, and I'll say this real quick, and I want you to I want you to jump back in. But when, you know, I, as I mentioned to you, went to USC Law School, one of the professors there now passed away. Unfortunately, Bill Quirk wrote about this frequently. He wrote about the Constitution constantly. It was was one of his many passions. And he said, for that very same reason that you said in the intro, you said the founders put these words in the Constitution, to allow us to amend it because they never intended. They understood it was not a perfect document. Uh, imperfect men do not produce a perfect document. And so we know the document's not perfect. It's an outstanding contract, social contract for government, but it is not perfect. And, of course, we had to have 10 amendments right off the bat just to get the deal done. and uh, But quirk. Professor Quirk always told me and he wrote this many times in many different publications that, you know, the safety valve in the Constitution is the ability of these states to when all else fails. If Congress won't act, as we've shown, they won't, the last safety valve in the Constitution is the ability of the states to amend it themselves. And Quirk's thesis always was. And I think he was right, is that in effect, what the founders did is they set the high bar a little too high. You know, it's it's almost they've almost made it seemingly a little too difficult. Our government would have been more responsive to the people. We wouldn't have the number of problems that are as intransigent and as intractable as they appear to be if they had set the Article five high bar just a little bit lower. That's one man's opinion. But you, you tell me what you think.
4: Well, I, you know, I think there's some truth to that, but it is what it is today. But let me go back and look at it this way: the founders, when they wrote their document, yes, they they put the, the Article Five in there because they foresaw problems that might occur. Can you, can you imagine if we could assemble, let's just say, a dozen of the founders that signed that Constitution today and said, "No, no, 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 that document you have is over here. Here's the three thousand page. Here's the three thousand page." constitution of today they would be appalled they'd look at us and said what the hell are you guys doing sure here's the safety cord we gave here's the safety button push it here here's a concept you know our world has gotten so upside down that everybody if you ask almost any citizen they, they look at the federal government up there and i'm holding my hands high in the sky put my coffee down uh it's it, big, it's large, it's all powerful. It was never intended to be that way. The states are the parent. The federal government is the child. The states gave birth to the federal government. They set it's parameters. The states are supposed to be all powerful. The founders intended for state legislatures closer to the people to have enormous authority and ha- and because of the individual states and their their, their different mores and the, the way, you know, we're different from California, thank God, and Washington <laughs> State, thank God, but we're very similar to Georgia and North Carolina in many ways and all yeah. of this. So uh, uh, we states were supposed to be all powerful in our areas. Well, And the federal government has very limited powers. It's yeah. gotten out of control.
1: Representative Taylor, we're going to have to go, but is there a web address that you can direct people to? Do you have a website where people can follow you, or can they follow you? Oh, oh t- sure.
4: I, I, I'll give you two things. My personal web address is just taylorschouse.com. taylorschouse.com. That's, my email's on there, too.
1: Okay. But
4: go to the Convention of States. Just, just Google Convention of States, and you'll get to the big website with so much information. Learn about this.
1: Yeah. Join the people. Well we've gotten a lot of feedback, Representative, and I want to thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Come back anytime, and we'd love to have you on again. And thanks for all you're doing in the State House. Keep up the great work.
4: I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yes, sir. Thank- folks,
1: stick with us. We'll be right back after these words with more Saturday morning coffee.
3: We're looking for a place to hide. when the in the bay-
0: Side by side. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, and more coming up next on Talk 94.5. Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour, on Talk 94.5.
1: Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Coffee, the Reese Boyd Radio Hour. A little Hugh Masekela for you on your Saturday morning. A few cowbells in honor of Liz Calloway. Um, Hope you guys are doing well this Saturday morning, staying well, staying inside, hunkering down if you can. We were uh, on the phone uh, for a couple of segments with Representative Bill Taylor from Aiken. Representative Taylor is in the South Carolina House of Representatives. I want to thank him for his time and for joining us, um, we got a lot of text messages. You guys are just chiming in like crazy. Um, somebody from an 864 area code, interesting, says loving the COS—that's Convention of States discussion. Those opposed simply do not understand that business as usual is not being successful in retaining our liberty and freedom. Taxation and federal spending with debt assures collapse. That's Wayne. Uh, Wayne's a COS supporter, and uh, Wayne, thanks for the comments. Just getting all kinds. Somebody's chimed in from Gray Court SC. Uh, support the Convention of States. Politicians have had years to address these issues, and they have chosen not to act. If not now, when? Folks, that is that is absolutely spot on. I love President Trump, but he is now adding to the deficit at the tune of $1 trillion annually, and that was before we started talking about bailing everybody out. When? When, when are we going to get the physical dynamic inside the beltway under control? When, what are we, what exactly are we waiting for? Are we waiting for full-scale societal collapse, full-scale market collapse on the scale of the pandemic that we're now experiencing? Because that can happen. What are we waiting for? It's obviously going to take a constitutional amendment, and it is now. it should be obvious to everybody who has an IQ over 30. I'm sorry if I'm offending anybody. If you have an IQ over 30, it should be obvious to you now that Congress is not going to fix this problem. Never. We have to fix it for them. And we have to send people to Washington who insist that it be fixed. Insist. Not just support it, but insist that it be fixed. So thank you to uh, Representative Taylor for his time. I think it's an important topic. We'll come back to it again. I hope all of you folks who have texted in for the first time because you're interested in this topic will join us on our text list of deplorables. Excuse me. I'm getting a little worked up here. I don't usually get worked up, Glenn, but I'm getting worked up this morning. Maybe it's that, you know, (laughs) maybe it's the coronavirus response kicking in.
2: I think everybody's, you know, just not themselves lately. You know, I mean, um, a little like we started out a little melancholy. Uh, you put a lot of excitement into the show and getting pumped up, driving the conversation and getting ready for a little fired up Chad. Cain. Yeah, a little, a little bit fired, fired up. up but, but um, it'll be interesting to see how fired up he is today. Yeah, you know. You know,
1: it's. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, but see, it's just a it's just a, a a fascinating issue, and I just can't understand how we have these problems. They're persistent. You know, if you have a few years of deficit spending and you and you you build up, I mean. Y'all, the vast majority of, of, uh, of government spending is now non-discretionary. We've created a situation where folks in Congress don't even have control over the federal budget. I mean, how did that happen? How did that happen? If it happens for a few years, fine. But we are now talking about multi-generational lapses of fiscal responsibility. When are we going to fix this? When? What are we waiting on? I mean, I don't want to leave this kind of world to my grandchildren. I know sooner or later... The system will collapse. It's not sustainable. So why do we want to leave that problem for our children or our grandchildren? But anyway, something to think about. I hope you guys will Google Convention of States. I hope you guys will follow Representative uh, Bill Taylor. Bill Taylor is, uh, again, a representative from Aiken. Uh, you can find him online at uh, Bill, uh, excuse me, his website is, I think, Taylor. Well, He gave it to us. Uh, Glenn, did you get that? It's uh, Taylor com. schouse.com, yep. www.taylor, T-A-Y-L-O-R, schouse.com. And if you go to the website, you can sign up for his newsletter. You can also email Representative Taylor at bill at taylorschouse.com, bill at taylor com. you can email him follow that discussion with him if via email if you like and again representative taylor we really appreciate your time Um, but i want to switch gears we will come back to the convention of states um, uh, subject it's an important topic we'll come back to it sooner or later hopefully and uh finally i wanted to tell you guys that some of you have been calling in asking again how to get in touch uh with us Uh, again if you want to reach me at the office uh, the office number is 843 839 9800. And of course, you can call in, join the show. We've had several callers today that we have, just haven't had a chance to get to, and I apologize for that. We're going to run out of time. But the call in number, usually when we're not quite so bumped up, is 843 903 2945. The PCRX text line is 843 798 8255. And again, you can always follow me on Twitter. Follow the show on Twitter at. At Reese Boyd, Reese Boyd written together, one word, R-E-E-S-E-B-O-Y-D, at Reese Boyd. So follow me on Twitter if you would. Let's keep the discussion about all these topics going. I want to vent for a minute. I'm going to go back to the coronavirus situation because that still is simply what's on everybody's mind. But I wanted to highlight something for y'all, a little episode that just has me a little bit fired up. You know, I want to turn back to the first week of March when your Surgeon General issued the following tweet. Seriously, people. Stop buying masks. This was the Surgeon General on February 29th, 2020. Seriously, people, stop buying masks. They are not effective in preventing general public, the general public from catching coronavirus. But if healthcare providers can't get them to care for sick patients, it puts them and our communities at risk. Y'all, that is the Surgeon General of the United States of America on February 29. 2020. It's a good thing that was a leap day. It won't happen again, hopefully. Um, you know, when I read that tweet, I thought, that's just really puzzling. You know, the masks don't work, but we need them. Well, it wasn't long before that text just completely unraveled in the sphere for the complete fraud that it was. And I hate to use that word, but let's just call it what it is, complete fraud. And, uh, you know, One of the things that caught my attention this week was an article in the New York Times, of all places, written by Zanep Tufeki, uh, a professor of information science in North Carolina. She wrote this for the New York Times. Why telling people they don't need masks backfires? When news of a mysterious viral pneumonia linked to a market in Wuhan, China, reached the outside world in early January... One of my first reactions was to order a modest supply of mask. Just a few weeks later, there wasn't a mask to be bought in stores or online for a reasonable price, just widespread price gouging. Many health experts, no doubt motivated by the sensible and urgent aim of preserving remaining masks, started telling people that they didn't need masks. As the pandemic, pandemic rages on, there will be many difficult messages for the public. Unfortunately, the top-down conversation around masks has become a case study in how not to communicate with the public. And effectively, what's happened, folks, is the government, after weeks of telling us not to buy masks, that they don't work, has now essentially been forced to admit that, let's call it what it is, they lied. And my point is, look, I'm not, again, I'm not here to throw people under the bus, but we have to hold our elected and appointed officials accountable. And if the, if the truth is, if the truth is, the masks work, but we don't want you to have one because it's more important for your doctor to have one, then just tell us that. Tell us the truth. Don't lie to us and treat us like we're stupid. Because when I heard the tweet, when I saw the tweet and I saw the press conference, I thought, well, that just doesn't make any sense. But my impulse is to trust the government because I I typically want to trust my government. The truth is, folks. The line from Princess Bride comes to mind, never trust a Sicilian when death is on the line. Apparently, you can't trust your government. I, I can't understand why they can't just speak the truth and and don't tell us that the mask doesn't work. I mean, clearly, it must do something. So that's my rant on the Surgeon General. And uh, folks, uh, I just want to remind you, uh, there's a lot going on, a lot to deal with. But uh, as I told somebody in a coffee shop this week, The Lord is sovereign. He was sovereign a week ago. He is sovereign today. He'll be sovereign next week and all the days thereafter. And so we can rest in that. And if you want to talk about that more, feel free to call me at my office. I want to leave you with this message from the Proverbs, which applies more than ever. Trust not in your own understanding. Lean on the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Y'all have a great week. Be blessed. Call me if we can help you. Have a great week. Be back next week with more Saturday Morning Coffee.